0: Well, this morning, if you have a Bible with you, I would like you to turn to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 3 through 5 this morning. That will be our biblical text for the morning. 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 5. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the chairs in front of you and also if you are here this morning and you don't even know how to use a Bible I always want you to know that's okay you can listen along I will read the pertinent scripture passage passages that we are looking at but I want to take just a minute to make a few uh, very brief announcements Um, first two related to the special business meeting that we have next Sunday night encourage you to read the full announcement in the bulletin. Just a reminder to all of us, we've given you a three-week window of opportunity for you to ask questions of the search committee or to sit down and talk with Pastor Chad about this open position that we're recommending him for, the search committee is recommending him for, and um, you can do your own personal uh, one-on-one interview with him if you want to. We want to make this... uh, An opportunity for you to ask questions. Second, don't forget that this week in the church office, Tuesday through Friday, we will have absentee ballots available. So if you're not going to be able to make the business meeting um, on Sunday night, October 6th, you are welcome to come in anytime this week and vote absentee. The third thing I want to say is totally unrelated to the first two. And that is, I just want to remind us that we consider a very important Sunday every year. The Sunday that we take our missionary Christmas offering. And that is going to be on Sunday, October 13th. The second Sunday of October. uh, Where we take an offering specifically to give Christmas gifts uh, to our missionaries. If you're new at First Baptist, you may wonder, why are we doing this so early? Uh, The reason we do it so early is because sometimes it is a process to get those uh, financial gifts to our missionaries overseas before Christmas. So what we do is we take your offering and we divide it equally between all of our supported missionaries and then try to get it to them before Christmas. So that is Sunday, October 13th, and we want to give you plenty of time to pray and plan for how the Lord may have you give to that. Well, with those things now aside, I want to get into the text this morning. And uh, actually, we'll get into it a little bit into the sermon. But I want to bring us up to date where, we're, where we are at, especially if you happen to be visiting with us this morning On September 8th, Sunday, September 8th, um, I finished preaching through the book of Ephesians. Uh, I spent about a year and a half working through with you as a congregation the book of Ephesians. Next Sunday morning, we will start our local evangelism month. October is always local evangelism month here at First Baptist. So in between those two things, I have been doing a three-part series, three messages On trials, hardships, and sufferings. That God uses them in our lives. And they are a very real part of the Christian life. And Christians are not exempt from tribulation. They are not exempt from trials. They are not exempt from suffering. And so the last two weeks... We looked at Second Corinthians chapter one, verses one through eleven, and I shared with you four ways in which God uses trials, hardships, and sufferings in our lives as Christians. First, He uses them to draw us close to Him, to draw us even closer in intimate fellowship and friendship with Him. Second, God uses our trials and suffering to comfort us so that we can comfort others with the same comfort we've received. Our trials soften our hearts and make us tender toward those who are hurting, especially toward those who are hurting with maybe the same kinds of things we have been hurting with. Third, God uses our trials and sufferings To cause us not to depend on ourselves, but on Him. Paul says, so that your reliance is not on yourself, but on God. God wants to strip us of our self-reliance and make us God-reliant. To throw ourselves at the mercy of the throne of God and place all of our trust in Him when we go through our times of trials and suffering as we see Him so tender. He is called the Father, of mercies, the God of compassion. And fourth, God uses our trials and suffering to reveal to us and to unleash in us the power of prayer. Prayer makes more of a difference than we will ever understand and our prayers can actually minister and change or bring about change in the person who's suffering and their prayers can do the same in our lives. If you remember from Philippians 1, we saw where Paul says, Join me. Join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Well, with those first two messages, I... Preach those so that we could come to this message. And this message is that God uses trials and sufferings because trials and sufferings are very much a part of living in a fallen, sinful world. There are those Christians who want to teach that if you have enough faith in God... Or if you trust God enough, you won't go through those trials. You don't have to suffer. And that is not true. Biblically, theologically, that is completely untrue. And so, our first point this morning is... The False Prosperity Gospel. Now I know that I'm probably preaching this morning to a couple of different groups. Some of you are very familiar with the prosperity gospel, sometimes called the health and wealth gospel. And some of you may not be very familiar with it. So let me just, so to make sure we're all working from the same frame here, let me go back and talk about what is The prosperity gospel or what I call the false prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel is a belief among some Christians that God rewards those who live faithful lives with material wealth. That if you are faithful enough, if you have faith enough, God wants you to always be healthy and he wants to give you more material wealth than you've ever thought possible. Prosperity theology, as many of you know, is very controversial. A controversial belief among some Protestant Christians that financial blessing and physical well-being are always the will of God. It's always God's will that you be healed. It's always God's will that you get that promotion. It's always God's will that you make more money, live in a bigger house, and drive a nicer car. They teach that if you have faith, that if you speak positive words, get away from the negativities. If you have positive speech, and if you donate to religious causes, God will help you to be healthy and will increase your material wealth. Prosperity theology views the Bible as a contract a contract between God and Christians. If Christians have enough faith in God, he will deliver health, security, and material prosperity. And if you aren't experiencing that, it's because you don't have enough faith. Now, there are many prominent prosperity gospel preachers for example, Benny Hinn, Kenneth Copeland, Joel Osteen, Joyce Meyer, Crufflow Dollar, there are many others besides them, but there's some of the most prominent and well-known, and millions of people, millions of people follow what is called the prosperity gospel. And I want you to know this morning that First Baptist Church categorically rejects the teaching of the prosperity gospel. John Piper, perhaps more than any other preacher, teacher, author, has spoken out against the prosperity gospel. If you go online, he has many sermons on his concerns, on its false teaching and theology. But what I did this morning is I took just kind of four points Four thoughts from some of those sermons on why we don't agree with it and why we believe it is unbiblical. First of all, and so these come from him and I'm sharing them with you. First of all, it has an unbiblical theology of suffering, teaching that you don't have to suffer if you have enough faith. And that is completely unbiblical. All the way from the Old Testament to the New, from Job through Paul, through the Apostle John in the book of Revelation, God's people have suffered on this earth because they have opposed God, they have opposed the gospel, and they oppose God's people. And we live in fallen, sinful bodies that are wearing out, that are eventually going to die. And so suffering is very much a part of the Christian life. We don't Seek out suffering, but it comes to all of us in very various ways. It could be physical. Could be emotional, could be mental. All kinds of suffering that God's people goes through. And God meets us in the midst of our suffering and grows us and teaches us in the midst of our suffering. Second, he says, in the prosperity there is no clear call. To deny yourself. There's way too much self. It's all about me. God wants me. To have good health. He wants me. To be wealthy. He wants me to get that job. He wants me. To get that promotion. Jesus said if anyone would come after me. I must deny himself. And take up his cross. And follow me. It's about self-denial and Christ exaltation. Oh, let me tell you, folks, this morning, that some of the most precious saints who have ever walked this earth live in third world countries and have lived and died in poverty. And they have loved Christ with all of their hearts and have served them have served him as faithful, if not more faithfully than we do. And they were never perfectly healthy and never had any of this world's wealth. Number three, John Piper says that in the prosperity gospel, there's no serious exposition of scripture. They don't take scripture passages and really break them down and get into the depth of what they mean and how they apply to us. Instead, they take passages out of context. They only use those passages that seem to support what they're saying. I listened to and watched an interview a number of years ago with Joel Osteen. He was being interviewed by CNN. And the secular reporter, to his great credit, asked him, he said, it seems to me there are just a lot of parts of the Bible that you leave out. Any parts about judgment, any parts about suffering, it seems that you just conveniently leave them out. And this was his answer. He said, well, he said, I leave that to other preachers. He said, I believe God has called me, To help people to be positive. To help people to feel good about themselves. He said, it's hard out there in that world. And when they come into my church, I want them to feel good. I want them to feel positive. I don't want them to get beat up again. That was his answer. So he's kind of left all those hard passages to the rest of us. Folks, you can't do that. You got to preach the whole counsel of God. Oh yes, there are many, many blessings. But sin has ravaged this world and it's ravaged our own lives. Number four. He says that prosperity preachers always tend to live exorbitant lifestyles of wealth and possessions. And many of them do. They're famous. I won't go through all of it, but many of them make millions of dollars. Live in fabulous homes, drive expensive cars. Often it is not unusual for them to have their own personal private jets. And I've often thought, you know, Jesus said, Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. During Jesus' life on earth, especially the three years of his earthly ministry, it is believed that Jesus had hardly anything. He lived in rel- relative poverty. Others supported him and helped him. So our master, our Lord, our savior. As far as we know in his earthly ministry, he didn't even own a home, didn't even have a permanent place to live and yet those who claim to follow him are living, the, living these exorbitant lifestyles. It just doesn't add up. Now, What I've shared with you is is just skimming the surface. There have been entire books written exposing the prosperity gospel. Also, in July of this year, we shared an excerpt for you on a Sunday night of the documentary, American Gospel, Christ Alone. It's two hours and 19 minutes long, about the length of a movie you might watch that exposes the prosperity gospel it's 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 excellent. We have recommended a number of times that all of you as a family watch it. Um, you can rent it on Amazon Prime. You can rent it on Vimeo. Uh, and we have placed five copies of that in our church library that you can uh, take out um, and just use for free if, if you, you want to watch it. So at some point, we'd really encourage you to watch that. So we reject the false prosperity gospel. Folks, I want you to know something this morning. There's a true prosperity gospel. There is. Maybe you haven't thought of it in this way, and that's our second thought this morning, the true prosperity gospel, but there is. Oh, a day is coming. A day is coming when you will be healthy. And you will live in the very presence of Jesus and you will have all the wealth of heaven at your disposal. Oh, that day is coming. It's not here yet. But it's yours. That's the true prosperity gospel. The true gospel of Jesus Christ teaches that someday in heaven, God will wipe away every tear from our eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying, or pain, because God will make all things new. Oh, that day is coming. And we long for that day, and we look forward to that day. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-5, through 5, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The key word in 1 Peter 1 3 through 5 is inheritance, it is your legacy. From God, If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning, you have an amazing, unbelievable, unbelievable inheritance waiting for you in heaven. Your inheritance is all that you are in Christ and all that you possess in Christ. And some of it you have now. A right relationship with God, forgiveness of sins. You've been adopted into the family of God as sons and daughters. Oh, but there's much more. One day, there will be no more sin, there will be no more death. You will have a perfect body, you will be completely healthy. It's yours. It's yours. And Peter says it's imperishable. That means nothing can destroy it. Nothing can destroy it. It is undefiled. It is perfect. It is without sin. It is unfading. It doesn't wear out. It doesn't grow old. It doesn't fade away. It is the total opposite of the things we possess on this earth. And please notice that Peter says this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. It is kept in heaven for you. doesn't say it is yours right now. It is kept in heaven for you. But that's an important statement. None of the ravages of time or the evils of sin can touch your inheritance because it's in a timeless, sinless realm. Heaven is the most secure place in the entire universe. Heaven is the most secure place in the entire universe. As I shared with you when we went through the book of Ephesians, our salvation has a past, present, and future aspect. In the past, there was a day when you prayed. If you know Christ as your Savior this morning, there was a day when you invited Jesus Christ to come into your life and to be your Savior. You confessed your sin. And received him as your Lord and as your Savior. And at that time in your life, at that moment, you were forgiven of your sin. You were placed in a right relationship with God. And you were guaranteed of eternal life. That's called justification. You were justified in the sight of God. That happened in your past. Right now, you are walking with God and growing in Christ. You are seeking to overcome the power of sin in your life by living victoriously through the life and power of Jesus Christ and his indwelling Holy Spirit. That's called sanctification. But there's a third aspect and that's called glorification. Someday you're going to die and you're going to be with Jesus and you will be released from the very presence of sin. No more sin. You will live with your Savior in perfection. Your salvation, your inheritance is being guarded by the power of God. Notice again in verses 4 and 5 it says, To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who, you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You are being guarded by the power of God. Oh, this is a powerful statement on the eternal security of your salvation. It's being guarded. Your inheritance, your salvation is being guarded by the power of God and no one can take that salvation from you. The glory of heaven In all of its fullness, which is beyond description, beyond our imaginations, it all awaits you. It all awaits you. And Peter ends verse 5 with the exciting statement that our salvation is ready to be revealed in the last time. Do you see that there? It is ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter is referring to the full, final, eternal life that God has not yet has not yet consummated. The fullness of your salvation and all of its aspects is yet to come. Oh, don't misunderstand me this morning. Your salvation is thrilling and wonderful right now. But there's a whole lot more to come. There is a whole lot more to come. You are will go into the presence of God, either when you die or when the rapture of the church takes place. With one of those two things, you will be ushered into the very presence of God, into the presence of Christ. And you will be a part of the coming millennial kingdom. You will eventually be part of the new heavens and the new earth. So no wonder Peter said in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ! Exclamation mark. Oh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because he has given us this unbelievable, unfathomable inheritance. We learn this, folks, back in Ephesians. Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14. In him, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him, and believed in him were sealed with the promised holy spirit now watch this verse 14 who is who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory when you received christ as your savior you were sealed with the promised holy spirit who is i love that word who is our guarantee of our inheritance until, until we acquire possession of it. When will we acquire possession of it? When we go home to be with the Lord. This morning I want to tell you the story of two faithful men. These two men were part of our church for many years. And maybe as faithful a men as we've ever had in this congregation. There have been others, but as faithful as any men we've ever had as part of this congregation. Their names were Jerry Bishop and Del Schmidtman. Man, those guys loved Jesus. They did. And they served him faithfully. They were great students of the word of God. If you knew them, you know that. And by the way, I did talk to Sue and I talked to Kay and got their permission to go ahead and use their husbands as the examples this morning. But these guys were faithful men of God. They were deacons for years. So I got, for many years, especially early in my ministry years, got to serve with them side by side, shoulder to shoulder we served together for many years, got to know them well. They were men. They were men of great faith. They were. A few years ago, different times, each of them was diagnosed with cancer. After they were diagnosed, they did live for a little while longer, a year or two after that, but ultimately, They both died. They were never healed. I remember, many of you remember, their families prayed for their healing. As a church, we prayed for their healing. But ultimately, they didn't get healed. In fact, I know for both men, when they came toward the end, they both suffered. They both physically suffered quite a bit. And though we had prayed for their healing, God said no, because it was time for them to go home. It was time for them to be with Jesus. Folks, for Jerry and for Dell, the false prosperity gospel didn't do anything for them. They were men of great faith. If men have faith, they had faith. But they suffered. And they didn't get healed. And they died. But let me tell you this this morning. The true prosperity gospel worked well for them. It worked great for them. You know where Jerry and Del are today? They're in the presence of Jesus. They got brand new bodies. No more sin. No more death. No more crying. No more mourning. They are living in the presence of Jesus. And all the wealth of heaven is theirs. You can have your false prosperity gospel. I'm telling you, a mansion here on earth, a nice car... When a private jet is pittance compared to heaven. It's nothing compared to heaven. You know, sometimes when a, a dear saint passes away, we kind of casually say this. We say, I, I wouldn't wish them back. Well, that is more true than we'll ever know. If you could see Jerry and Dell today, you would never wish them back. You would never wish them back. But what you would wish is this. If you could see them today, you would wish you could be with them. You would long for the day that you would be with them. There is supposed to be a part of every Christian that longs for heaven, because that's our real home. And that's where our true inheritance is at, which brings us to our third and final point this morning. How long, O Lord? In Revelation 6.10 it says this, it says they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell in the earth. The context of this passage is the tribulation period at the end of time. And during the tribulation and the great tribulation, there are many who will come to Christ, but a great majority of them will be martyred. They will be killed for their faith. Some have. And they are in heaven and they are crying out, O sovereign Lord, how long? How long will it be before you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And God tells them, or it says in the following verses in Revelation, it says they were given white, white robes and told to wait a little longer and rest a little longer until the full numbers of their brothers or the full number of their brothers and sisters who were yet to be martyred was completed. But it is that cry that has marked Christians for centuries. How long, O Lord? Throughout the history of the Bible, And through the present day, God's people have asked the question, How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord, will there be pain and suffering and poverty and crime and killings and war? How long, O Lord, will there be disease and terminal illnesses and bodies that grow old how long, O oh Lord, will there, will there be broken marriages and broken homes and dysfunctional families? How long, O oh Lord, will people on this earth reject you, mock you, and persecute your people? And God says, wait a little longer. Wait a little longer that day is coming. Folks, a day is coming when all things will be made right. A day when there will be perfect justice and righteousness and peace. But not yet. But not yet. In this sinful, fallen world where we are, let us love our Savior with all of our hearts. Let us be faithful to proclaim the saving gospel message to the ends of the earth and let us be faithful to him in any and every way that we can. And one day heaven will come. We have the most amazing, beautiful, wonderful inheritance Waiting for us. Waiting for us. And let us be faithful. Until Christ returns or Christ chooses to take us home, let us be faithful to Him. And then we will receive the fullness of what has been promised to us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for heaven. Thank you for the joy, the wonder, the beauty. Of heaven, We say, how long, O Lord? It is our heart's cry. And until you choose, until your ordained day for us, let us be faithful. Let us be true to our Master and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.